again, Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. And in the background, that's Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass Boys on our podcast opening. If you're in Utah or actually anywhere around the Mountain West, they're on a tour this spring, check out their live performance calendar to catch a show, pixieandthepartygrassboys.com. And of course, a shout out to High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. Passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. We're also joined on this episode by Red Ledges. If you're looking for your own piece of Utah paradise, Look at Red Ledges with over 2,000 acres featuring custom homes and home sites just minutes from the lifts. And a big last chair welcome to new sponsor, Uinta Recreation. Now you've booked a five-star Utah ski vacation. How about mixing it up with a five-star snowmobiling experience, Uinta Recreation? I've been looking forward to this episode for a while now. Two seasons ago, we visited Sundance Mountain Resort with CEO Chad Linnebaugh. Later that year, owner Robert Redford made a decision to sell the resort after 50 years. And since then, there's been an air of excitement to experience the changes on one of Utah's true hidden gems. At the core of this evolution this season here at Sundance has been one of the resort's new principals, Bill Jensen. Bill is one of the most highly respected ski industry leaders and has been for decades. He's played roles at some of North America's most noted resorts, from Vail to Whistler to Telluride. But it's his first foray into Utah. In this episode of Last Chair, Bill Jensen will talk about his unlikely path into the ski industry after he discovered the sport at age 19 in Southern California. And we'll talk about the legacy that Robert Redford built here at Sundance and Bill Jensen and his partners are carrying forward. If you have not been to Sundance this season, you need to get over here this month. Check out the new Outlaw Express from Doppelmeyer, seven minutes from the base to the top of the Mandance Summit. Utah is lucky to have Bill Jensen serving as what he calls the coach for the team at Sundance. Bill is a class act who was recently inducted into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. It is a fascinating story. So join us as we catch up with ski resort legend Bill Jensen on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast, coming to you live from Sundance. And I love coming down the canyon up to Sundance to do podcasts. We were here a couple of years ago. My guest today, Bill Jensen from Sundance, and we're going to talk about all the new things happening at this amazing resort. But Bill, when you come into this place, especially after a snowfall, it doesn't get a lot prettier than this. No, this is a really special spot, not just here in Utah, but in North America. There's very few ski resorts or ski areas that have the vista that Sundance has and the uniqueness of the canyon and uh, the mountains opening up to you. It's just a really special place. Yeah, it, it seems like every time I come down here, it's right after a snowfall. We had a great little snowfall. In fact, I think Provo and Sundance got the lion's share out of this storm in the last couple of days. I heard that they had nine inches 
yesterday and overnight. And I always say, you know, no matter whether you're in Utah or another state, scary is there's always a bit of a snow derby every time it snows. And I think Sundance maybe had the the most snow in Utah. Yeah, I think I think I think they won this one. It was really great to see. We're going to talk more about Sundance, but I want to introduce you to the Utah audience. You have had an amazing career in the industry, and we're going to talk more about it. Most of it has been outside of Utah, but we're great to have you involved in skiing in our state now. But let's talk about how you grew up as a skier. You have a little bit of an atypical background, uh, born in Hawaii, growing up in Southern California. And how did you find your way into the sport just as a participant? Unfortunately, later than most people, I, you know, born in Hawaii, grew up in Southern California, and, you know, you do the Southern California sports, whether it's football or baseball, and, you know, I ran track and, you know, rode motocross bikes and, you know, Southern California lifestyle. And when I was 19 years old, I was walking down Ventura Boulevard in Woodland Hills, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And there's a, a ski retailer called Sports LTD. And I, for one reason or another, I walked into the store and I saw what I would call a fairly primitive video machine that played film and they were showing I think it was the K2 performers video and for the first time I saw freestyle skiing and I was like totally fascinated with it and you know whether I mean all the people from Bob Salerno to John Clendenin to Wayne Wong to Eddie Ferguson to the list goes on and on you know even you know later got to know Stu O'Brien I just went wow this is incredible so I went skiing that winter, one day, and that was it. <laughs> and how old were you then? 19 at a local mountain in Southern California, Holiday Hill, now known as Mountain High. And that was it. And then, you know, it's going to school. And then the next year, I had a whopping two days when I was 20. And then after college, 21 in November, just after my 21st birthday, a bunch of friends went to Mammoth for four days to ski at Thanksgiving. And so now I'm up to a whopping seven days of skiing. But when I was at Mammoth, um, walking through the lodge, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And the saw a sign that said personnel office. And I walked in at Thanksgiving at a ski area and said, you guys have jobs? And they went, yes. And I said, and I could get one? And they said, yes. And I said, I will be back shortly. <laughs> and I truly went home packed. And I literally moved to Mammoth with seven days of skiing under my belt. And my first job at Mammoth that first winter of the 73-74 winter was as a lift operator. Great. Everybody should start as a lift operator, right? I think it's it's the best thing for to give it just you connect to people and you know and it, it, it candidly it was fun. So that's where it all started and it was candidly all happenstance. I mean I had no idea that a scary it was even a business. I just saw it as some great recreational fun pursuit and and then you know, I was, I think I was fortunate to go to Mammoth and, you know, Dave McCoy who founded Mammoth and was true inspiration to everybody that worked in that organization, including me. And I just, I fell in love. You know, I, I always say I, I love skiing, but I became passionate about the ski industry and the business and, and that's where things unfolded. 
in that first winter, did you get in a few days of skiing yourself? Yeah, I skied, you know, there was no overtime. So I was always willing to work the extra shift, which I think maybe endeared me to my the managers in the, in the organization. But I probably skied that winter, you know, counting the four days I, at Thanksgiving, maybe 25 days. And, you know, and if you think about it, I, so I'd only skied 30 days in my life after the end of the first winter. So I still was pretty, you know, I could get down a blue run, you know, and there was no grooming back then. I mean, everything was bumps and, you know, then it would snow and, you know, Sierra cement trying to learn how to turn to that. And, and then, you know, fortuitously when I was going to college in the summers, I worked for a friend's father who was a concrete contractor. And I learned to form and finish concrete and could do driveways and swimming pools. And Mammoth was building uh, a new maintenance shop which really was the biggest thing the ski industry had ever seen. It was all concrete tilt-up. And I ended up, they asked me if I wanted to stay that summer and work on it. And I was like, well, of course. <laughs> so worked worked the whole summer. And then in the fall, my boss approached me and said, you know, there's a lot of people that have been waiting for this job, but, you know, I'd like to have you become a lift supervisor, which really meant that you got paid to ski all day. And he said, you got to work a little bit on your skiing, which, I mean, I knew I had to get some miles in. And I think the next three years at Mammoth, I skied more than 200 days a year. Wonderful. You can do that there, I guess. You can do that, yeah, because we were, all those years, back in those years, we opened in October before Halloween, and we closed the 4th of July. You know, we had race camps all in June up on Char 3, and, and so I worked worked, you know, actually those years, even though I was a lift supervisor, I loaded lifts. And, you know, I still remember, you know, I mean, I was a big fan of pro racing. So, I mean, I'm at Spider Savage and Hank Cashua, Perry Thompson, you know, I mean, the whole crew was training there and, you know, Duvillard was there, you know, all these famous racers. And so, it was, you know, it was remarkable just to be in that environment. And I think it just fueled my passion, you know, for the for the sport and the business. Bill, you grew up in Southern California. Mammoth Lakes, California is a huge difference. And you've been to ski towns all over the country, actually. What are the things that you found early on that really attracted you to ski towns? I guess in small towns, eventually you get to know a lot of people. And I also like the fact that people depended on each other, you know, whether it was helping people split their firewood or snow removal or, you know, whatever. And, you know, but you, you built relationships and, and candidly in ski towns, there's a common denominator that everybody loves snow and they love sliding on snow, whether they snowboard or ski now. But, you know, and I just felt very comfortable in that environment. And, and later in my career, you know, as I progressed, you know, I lived in Vancouver, British Columbia, downtown and went to an office and kind of the same thing in Denver after Vancouver. And, you know, while cities are wonderful and they have lots of great, interesting options and choices, living in a ski town to me just fit who I was and my persona. And I really like small mountain communities. After you had worked in a few ski towns, Mammoth, Sun Valley, you migrated from that type of job to a selling job to resorts. You went to Piston Bully for a while. What prompted that change for you? 
I always knew that I wanted to see if I could have the opportunity at some point in my career to run a ski resort. I think, you know, I admired Dave McCoy so much and, and, but I, you know, you have a lot to learn. And so, you know, I spent eight years in mountain operations, you know, outside and made snow and built lifts and cut trails and did all the things that you do, construction jobs in the summer. And then obviously operations during the winter. And, but, you know, Piston Bully was coming to the United States, a German manufacturer, and, and I saw they were bringing technology to grooming that I thought was going to be a game changer for the industry and the sport. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I like to think as I look back on my career, every 10 years, there's something new introduced in the industry, you know, whether it was, high, you know, first the chairlift, but then high-speed lifts. And when grooming came along, Piston Bully was the first to market with what we all know now. It was the power tiller and that corduroy ski surface that is just the norm today. But literally 40 years ago, it was just coming on. And I saw that opportunity. And so, you know, I went to work for them, you know, in a sales position and, and then became the the North American sales manager, and then ultimately a vice president and oversaw the track vehicle business. And, uh, you know, I think the best thing for me in, in my career was it, it allowed me to really almost go to every single ski area in North America at some time over that seven-year period. I can't say that I skied them all because sometimes I would just be there for two or three hours, but I saw a lot of different ski areas or ski resorts and how they operated and functioned. And it really made my mind work to say, you know, so what are the right models? There's no one model for success. There's several models, but I, I got to experience those. And I look back on that experience. And I also, you know, part of the job, I got to go to Europe four or five times a year. And so I saw a lot of European resorts and, and saw how they operated. And so it, it really was an incredible growth and educational experience. Great learning experience. Oh, incredible. You know, I just got exposed to different people, different management styles, you know, just different people in the industry that, you know, in my opinion, I always think it's important to make a difference. And I saw lots of people who truly made a difference. I imagine in that role at Piston Bully that that did bring you to Utah a fair amount. It did. You know, when I first came, we had a branch here um, in Sandy, Utah. So I I was in Utah probably, I probably was in Utah three or four weeks out of the year in, in visiting resorts. You know, we, our customer base was growing here pretty rapidly and visiting resorts. And at that point, got to know not so much, you know, a few of the general managers, but people in mountain operations, the guys in the shop. And, you know, and you just, you spent time with a lot of people. And then we did trips, we did customer trips to Europe, you know, where we would invite the general managers or the mountain managers to come with us. And so I hosted several of those and, but really developed some close relationships with, you know, people at Brighton, the people at Deer Valley, the people at Snowbird, the people at Alta. Did you pass through Sundance at all? Uh, only one time for about two hours. And, you know, I have a very, you know, this is in the 80s. I have a very vague memory of, you know, coming around from Park City and coming here. And I didn't ski here and just, but yeah, I, I was on the property at some point 
you know, probably 1985 or 86. So long time ago. Yeah. A lot, <laughs> and and a lot, even at Sundance, a lot has changed uh, since, since that. To time. say the least. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to touch on all of the stops that you've made, but you've really been to some amazing resorts. You know, you've, you've worked for Sun Valley, Sunday River, Breckenridge, Vail, Beaver Creek, Telluride, quite a few. I mean, that's an amazing amount of diversity that you've built into this career of yours. Yeah. And, you know, in, in operating roles at, at the resorts, you said, and then as my career grew, I ran multi-resort companies. And so, you know, and, and that's a very different job. I, I actually love being, you know, on property and in the trenches with your team. But, but you know, trying to run 10 or 12 resorts at one time is, is also a, a different skill set. And, you know, it's one that I enjoyed and, you know, trying to keep the herd all moving in the same direction, so to speak. So yeah, I've had, I've had a, a wide variety of experiences and, you know, someone asked me maybe six or eight months ago, you know, how many resorts were you involved in? And I was like, oh my God, you know, I think it's, it's clearly in 20, 25, some, you know, in the twenties somewhere, but it was a lot. Great memory. So, oh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, it's the best. I, I just think I was blessed. You know, it's almost serendipitous how my career path went and where it took me. You were inducted into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. You and I in the same Together. induction Thank you. <laughs> class. And, and I, I imagine that for you, I mean, nobody gets into this for the awards, but a recognition like that from your peers is very meaningful. Yeah, it's touching and, you know, and it's gratifying. It wasn't something that you, you aspire to, and I don't think you aspire to it, but to be acknowledged, you know, for that contribution. And, you know, in, in my case, I think, you know, it really was, I really believe in the sport and I believe that ski areas are important and I've worked hard over, over my career to, you know, mentor people and bring new people into the business and, and see their careers grow. And, and that probably to me has been the most fulfilling part of my career. We're going to talk specifically about Sundance when we come back from our break here in just a minute. But as we go into the break, the ski industry has evolved tremendously during your tenure. It's quite a different business model than it was years before. The customer expectation is different. How do you look at it today compared to where it was back then? And how have you been able to evolve through all of this? Uh, you know, when I think you started in the 70s and, you know, I always say the sport kind of evolved from being an adventure activity to actually being a sport to being a lifestyle. And, you know, you enjoy all those parts and you don't lose any. There's still the adventure aspect, backcountry skiing, skinning up, you know, all those things. The sport is still there, ski racing. We just saw, you know, I love the Olympics and I love ski racing. And we saw that. And then, you know, we obviously there's a lifestyle to it. And, and so many people skiing is a part of who they are. But, you know, I think, you know, I, if I think back, I'll give a lot of credit to Bob Wheaton and Deer Valley in the 80s showed that there needs to be a hospitality component to skiing. And I think it took the rest of the ski industry a couple of decades to get that message and, and start to provide an experience that's more rounded. Obviously, sliding down the hill is why people come here, but there's a lot of other expectations about food or lodging or 
retail or all the pieces that go with it. So, you know, the sport has evolved. And then, you know, now, you know, COVID has been interesting. You know, I really have a lot of respect for the people I know in the industry and what they've had to work through the last couple of years. But ultimately, you know, it's, I think the industry is in a transitional period, you know, and I think, you know, Epic and Icon Passes are driving the industry and the sport in, in a direction that I don't think we quite know the answer to yet. So I watch it with interest, but at the same point, I really truly believe that the guest experience and the hospitality experience are still paramount. Speaking of that guest experience, you mentioned Bob Wheaton at Deer Valley, and I know at part of that time you were overseeing Vail, and I think the two of you were you know, engaged in this little competition to see who would be number one. Yeah, Ski Magazine every year, you know, came out with a poll. And uh, Bob and I, in my 10-year run at Vale, and then obviously the ten, those 10 years he was at Deer Valley, one or the other of us was number one and the other one was number two. And it was a, a bit of a back and forth piece. And Ski Magazine always let us know who was one and who was two. And then the number two made a very nice phone call to the number one and congratulated them. And, you know, and I, I was really proud because I think Bob is, you know, is one of the best people in the industry. And I give him a tremendous amount of credit for creating that more well-rounded hospitality experience that, you know, the industry over a decade or two really adopted and and has been the practice for at least the last 20 years. We're with Bill Jensen at Sundance this week on Last Chair. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, we've had some great stories from Bill Jensen in this episode, and we're going to be right back to Sundance with more. The drive from Park City down to Sundance along the Wasatch Back is really one of my very favorites here in Utah with just stunning views of Mount Timpanogos. One of the most spectacular views is actually just outside of Heber City up at Red Ledges, a 2,000-acre community just minutes from Park City where you can experience the best of what Utah has to offer. The combination of Breathtaking views and easy access to active lifestyle adventures is what really sets Red Ledges apart. You can spend the day skiing at Deer Valley Resort, just a short shuttle ride away, go hiking or biking on the surrounding trails, play some golf on one of Red Ledges' two Jack Nicholas courses, or participate in one of the many club activities. And then at the end of the day, you can just simply come home to Red Ledges and relax on your deck to these stunning views of Timp. On the way back from Sundance for this episode, I took a little side trip over to Red Ledges. I just love that part of the Wasatch back, and check it out yourself on your next trip. Red Ledges offers home sites and custom homes to make your dream life a reality. Visit redledges.com to discover Red Ledges. That's redledges.com. So now let's get back to Sundance Mountain Resort with Bill Jensen. And we are back at Sundance Resort today on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast, talking to Bill Jensen. 
industry luminary, now one of the principals here at Sundance. And in the in the second half, I want to talk about Sundance. And first of all, how did you initially get engaged in this when Robert Redford was looking to sell back in 2020? How did you find your way into that process? A friend of mine and my wife's a couple have lived in Vail for 20 years, and he has always been heavily involved in the hospitality business. He was chairman of Rosewood Resorts and Hotels. Um, he built and owned several Four Seasons. And for about 15 years, I think maybe 15 years ago, he had his first conversation with Robert Redford about Sundance. He's very attracted to it. They love, love the outdoors. They love the setting here. And at that time, Robert Redford wasn't you know, thinking about selling it. And in 2020, I think my understanding is, you know, Robert Redford decided it was maybe time to transition. And, you know, different parties came in and looked. And my friend, you know, was like, hey, Bill, would you go look at Sundance? And I'm like, oh, wow. What do you, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I had a memory that was, you know, whatever, 35 years old. Your two-hour visit. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, finally in... I think it was August of 20, came here and very discreet. And I actually, instead of riding the lifts in the summer, I just hiked the mountain all the way up to the top and looked at every lift line, you know, spent a day hiking and then spent another day wandering around looking at all the base area, the village, the cottages and all the pieces. And I actually, because I hadn't skied here, I was like, wow, this is it's it's pretty nice and obviously the setting is just incredible and so i went home and and i said you know i took a look spent a couple of days there and i said yeah i think it's interesting you know and it's you know you just you know is it going to happen and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. and so things moved on and helped a bit with the due diligence and and then finally it was you know, the whole transaction was coming together. And my friend is part of a small hospitality private equity firm in California. And then another fund out of New York that also does hotels, small hotels. And the, the gentleman that runs that, I met at Goldman Sachs, you know, eight or nine years ago. And he's running that fund. And they everybody came together and said, you know, let's, let's move forward with this and, and you know, come together. And, you know, and then we were successful. There's a lot of Utah investors in the investment group. So there's some real roots here in Utah and, you know, people in Provo that really love this place. So we were successful and closed on it in December of 20, right before Christmas. And so we've been operating it for about 14 months, you know, with the, t with the team here at Sundance. And I'm a, a partner with the private equity people and an investor. And it's fun for me. You know, it's it's fun to come in. And my role is a bit of a coach is how I describe myself. And I hope that's how the team here sees me. And I don't dabble in the minutia with them. It's just try to the big picture and where we're going. And, you know, and we're fortunate that um, we're in a position that we have money to invest. And, but at the same point, really protect 
the integrity of Sundance that Robert Redford established over 50 years. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about that. And before we look forward, let's look a little bit backwards. And this really is a unique property. And all of us who live in Utah have have always valued this and truly respected what Robert Redford did. And he did this 50 years ago. You've been in a number of business ventures. Is this really a unique situation to have a place like this that has been so well preserved and has the heritage that it does? And then how does that impact you as you look forward to building a business plan here? You know, I've been fortunate in the industry and my time in it to have met or worked with what I would call a lot of the the founders of the industry, you know, whether it was Dave McCoy, but I, you, know, you can go down a long list of people who really started from nothing. And I think Robert Redford here too, he, he found the spot and yes, there was a small little ski area here and, you know, over time, but he had a vision and I really admire and respect the vision that he had. And I think it, it, it captured the hearts of people here in Utah and others. And when you come here, there's just, it's a different feeling. And I always say that, you know, when I, when I go to a new ski area or a new resort, I always go, what's the sense of place here? You know, and, and you, Everyone has a slightly different feeling, and and I think Sundance has a very unique sense of place. And I think you know, as the new caretakers slash owners, you know, we're very committed, and we have a strong responsibility to maintain the integrity of the commitment to the environment, the commitment to the sense of place here, and so we really take that into consideration as you know, we think about Sundance and where to invest in and where does it go going forward. When you did that summer visit in 2020 and you walked the mountain, what was your feeling of the sense of place for what you were, you were seeing really for the first time? You know, the word, and you know, and I, I don't want it to be overused, but just even from the sense of arrival and walking through the base, there's something magical about this and and part of it is the environment it sits in and Mount Temp and and the views I mean it is truly one of very few unique ski areas that have this setting and then because I think you know it was Robert Redford's business and you know it, it really was a bit almost a, a family business is what I would call it and you can sense that in the culture and the staff and the people who are here and you know my sense is everyone you know particularly in Utah County feels a bit of a sense of ownership of Sundance and and how it's played a role in their life i mean i've already heard dozens of stories about first dates here and and proposals here and weddings here and those are part of the fabric of Sundance and i think that it defines Sundance and it's clearly our vision um, going forward is to to maintain that special magical characteristic that Sundance exudes. I know that everyone's been happy to hear that since the acquisition took place. We want to remind listeners, we also had Chad Linnebaugh on two years ago, the general manager here. He was episode seven in our first season of last year, and we'll link that up in the podcast notes at skiutah.com. But it was an interesting talk about the place at that time prior to the acquisition and really looking back in time to share some of the thoughts of history. And Chad very much grew up on, on this mountain too. So lots of real local lore. 
So let's talk about the changes so far. I was up skiing today, Outlaw Express, game changer, high-speed quad coming out of the base right now. It really has small change, big transformation. You know, in fairness, you looked at the mountain and the lift infrastructure and the snowmaking infrastructure and the grooming infrastructure and, you know, Sundance was doing the best they could or can with the resources they had. And when we came and took a look, we we recognized that the old raised lift as a fixed grip quad with mid-station unload and then over the back and down the backside really necessitated that the staff operate that lift at a very slow line speed because beginners were getting on it in ski school. And so, you know, the general consensus was the lift ride was 20 to 25 minutes long and the lines and what it really did is it, it forced most skiers to go to the back and stay on the back mountain, which is a great skiing experience. So, you know, we came in and we looked and we worked with Snow Engineering, which is a fairly well-known ski resort planning group, and worked with them. And I was here and, you know, we knew that we wanted to put a high-speed quad in out of the base. And we were up skiing and I said, can we hike up this summit, Mandan Summit? So we hiked up with our skis. And when I stood up there, I went, oh my God, this is where the new lift needs to go. And Chad pointed out that there was a lift there that they took out in 1995. So there hadn't been a lift there for 25 or 26 years. And so we worked with Snow Engineering to do that design and have a mid-station unload. But the biggest piece is high-speed express lifts move very slowly in the two terminals, or literally all three terminals, the mid-station included which makes ease of loading for a wide variety of skiers. But the lift time now is seven minutes versus the 20 or 25 that we had. And so, you know, we made that investment, which candidly required a, a second lift on the backside that we call stairway, which is um, a very short lift to get you back to the top of Mandan. And, you know, and then we recognize that there's snowmaking infrastructure was was fairly old and and not particularly efficient. So we've invested in air water. We put a reservoir in that was in a natural swale. It was the reservoir was built in two or three weeks and put the liner in and we can fill that with water and really increase our snowmaking capabilities and built a new restaurant in the Creekside building, which we call Lookout, and you know, beefed up the grooming and you know, all those pieces and, you know, and we still have future plans. And I think the Sundance group will probably be announcing something for this summer in the next two or three weeks. But, you know, but we also really believe in the summer business and we think, you know, the mountain biking off Mandan, the hiking off Mandan, the opportunity maybe to do wedding ceremonies on the top of Mandan all really make it attractive also for our summer activity. Yeah, it really has made a big difference. We had Katarina Schmitz from Doppelmeyer on the podcast in December. And you know, I think a lot of skiers, they they look at high-speed quads and they just think this is just, we're able to get a lot more people up the mountain. But really, as you mentioned, one of the principal reasons for a high-speed lift is you control that speed in the terminal. So it really accommodates skiers of all ability levels getting on and off the lift. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, you know, in the old raised lift was a, a fixed grip quad, but it still was a 2,000 or 2,200 an hour uphill capacity if it ran at 500 feet a minute. 
Now, it ran at 250, so in essence, it maybe was 1,200 people an hour. Now, with Outlaw Express, we can run that at a much higher line speed and and truly put 2,000 or 2,200 people up the mountain. And you know, But we provided about 40 acres more of ski terrain when we went to the top of Mandan, and we did a lot of... I mean, I know that we spent a seven-figure amount on trail grading and, you know, created, you know, if you're up here skiing, you know, the new access off Mandan called Broadway and, you know, everything is snowmaking, you know, moved a patrol outpost to the top of Mandan. You know, there's a lot of pieces that go with putting in a new lift. and But, you know, we think overall, we had a lot of projects, or I like to say we were juggling a lot of balls last summer. And, you know, in some ways, you know, we all wanted the snow in November, but we were fortunate because we were on a really tight schedule. And, you know, as you said, Katarina, you know, Doppelmeyer, you know, was great. But, you know, even in that, there was supply chain issues. And, I mean, it just was an intense time for the team here at Sundance. And, but I have to say, you know, we got to the finish line on Christmas Eve and, you know, and then it snowed. And then, you know, then we didn't ha- quite have a snowmaking temperature we wanted for a couple of days. And we got that knocked out. And now, you know, they've smoothed out a lot of the, of the bumps that, that, you know, I have a, a saying that, you know, opening a ski area is like wrapping a Christmas present. You know, first you have to get it in the box, then you have to wrap the box, and then you put a ribbon on it. In our case, we got the present in the box on Christmas Eve, and then we got the wrapping on it um, as fast as we could between then and New Year's. And, you know, and then finally in January, we were able to start putting the ribbon on it. So we were, won't happen again. You know, usually we you like to have the ribbon on it, you know, the week before Christmas, and my sense is we'll be in that position next year. So, in some way, you know, for our season pass holders, apologies, but in recognition of their patronage and dedication to Sundance, we extended the season a week to give people uh, an opportunity to get a few extra days in April. I want to give a shout out for Broadway coming off a of Mandan that takes you down into some just absolutely stunning views of of Timpanogos that you haven't really had before. Yeah, no, when you're on the top of Mandan, it, it feels like you can just reach out and touch it. And it's just, you know, it, I think it made a lot of sense for us to take a look to do not take a look to actually implement that lift alignment and and put it all together and you know and it certainly was a bit more expensive than just putting something back in the place of raised lift but i think for the long term and summer and everything else it was the right decision folks when you come out here to ski the new sundance you know you're going to take the lift and you're going to kind of have that old mentality but pretty soon you're going to think ooh this is not exactly the same line this is a new experience it's a new experience. And, you know, and when you come up to the base of Mandan, it's like all of a sudden you pick up. And But when I stood up there, you know, it's interesting. From there, you can see Heber City. You can see the airport. You can see the reservoir. And at the top of the old rays, you miss those views. And so, you know, and obviously the views off the top, you know, the back mountain are just stunning. But I actually think the view of, from the top of Mandan is probably the signature view. Just a couple of quick things before we close. I would imagine, and I know you're not going to probably give away what you're going to announce, but I would imagine that you're going to start to focus a little more attention on the back mountain. The next step for us is we're still trying to balance the terrain here. And so I think we're looking at a new terrain pod that I'll let those guys put the word out. But yeah, and then yes, but long-term, yes, then the next 
piece after that is on the back mountain and there's an opportunity to do a fairly significant terrain expansion with both really good intermediate, high intermediate and advanced terrain. Well, Bill, we want to thank you for your insights here today. We're going to close it out with this section we call Fresh Tracks on Last Chair of the Ski Utah podcast. You have worked at I don't know, I just say literally all of, but not really, what'd you say, 25 or more resorts. Do you have any favorite ski runs of all the places you've worked, any particular favorite ski runs anywhere in the country? How I'm going to respond to that, Tom, is, you know, for those of us who get to work at a ski area or live in a ski town, we have the benefit of what I call being in the right place at the right time on a powder day. <laughs> And so when I look back on my career, you know, I know a lot of areas and I've skied a lot of runs and there's nice skiing. But what I really do remember at this point is I remember the best powder days. And obviously there was some great ones at Mammoth. I remember one in particular at Sun Valley. I actually remember one at Sunday River on the East Coast, you know, and it was maybe only nine inches, but nine inches in New England is a big day. Powder day. And obviously... When I was at Vail, we had a, a program called First Tracks that you went up early and along with you know, my head of mountain operations, we would decide which three lifts were going to open for first tracks. And when there was a powder event, we got something open in the back bowls. And, you know, and I'm, and I, when I'm talking about powder events, I'm talking about, you know, skiing untracked 20 inches of snow, but probably my favorite story. I'm sure you were there. So at Whistler Blackhome in, in 2010 was the Olympics. And one of the sayings in the ski industry is if you want it to snow, hold it downhill. And it snowed to beat the band at Whistler, and the downhill was canceled. And up on the high alpine, I'm not exaggerating, there was 30-plus inches of fresh snow. And because the Olympics and how the Olympic Committee was controlling access to Whistler, there was very few people there. But you were one of them. But I was one of them. And, but I also will say what I, surprised me but also impressed me is up skiing in this 30 inches was about 50 or 60 World Cup Olympic athletes. And it was, you know, candidly, it was as incredible a powder experience. And that one's probably etched into my mind. But again, so I don't really, you know, there's some great ski runs out there and I've skied them and, you know, you love them. But I go back to those powder days just get burnt into your mind. And, you know, and if you're not here, you know, I wasn't here this morning, so I missed the nine inches today. Now, hopefully it'll snow a little bit tonight and I can get a couple runs in tomorrow morning. But, but yeah, I, I think it's in my memory. It's just powder days. I think the best ski run is the one that you're on on any given day, right? Absolutely. Uh you're in Utah now, so just wondered if you have found a favorite Utah craft beer yet. Yes, they serve it here at Sundance, and I'm a I'm a Logner Pills kind of guy, and they have a beer here called Ketos Pilsner, and I will probably have one tonight, and one tomorrow night, and one the next night. <laughs> Good, and then at some point we'll introduce you to High West. I look forward to it. Groomers, bumps, glades, or powder? Powder. Yeah, I always go, people that. always go, you want to go see some bumps? And I go, why? <laughs> but in fairness, all those freestyle guys, uh, the bumps was what I saw, and, but that's not easy. <laughs> no, I, I, it's still crazy to me. I don't know, but they love it and they're good at it. They're very good at it. Final one. Describe Sundance in just one word. You know, I have to go back and I, I don't want to overuse it. Magical. 
you know, it's hard to say magical about big ski areas, you know, and this is a nice warm place. And to me, there's just some magic here. Bill Jensen, thank you for joining us on Last Chair and welcome to Utah. Thanks, Tom. It was great to see Bill Jensen and to have him engaged here in Utah. I had a blast skiing at the new Sundance, just seven minutes to the top of Mandan's summit, and some fabulous new beginner and intermediate runs off the Timpanogos side of Mandan. Check them out when you're up there this month. Are you heading to Utah this winter? Now that you've booked your five-star ski vacation, let's talk about that five-star snowmobile experience for your day or two off from the slopes. On a Uinta Recreation Snowmobile Adventure, you're not limited to ski lifts. You can experience the Wasatch Range or the High Uintas from a completely different perspective. Uinta Recreation offers world-class snowmobiling with both guided and self-guided tours. And if you're looking for a bit more adventure, Uinta Recreation offers a true backcountry tour that combines both trail and off-trail riding to suit your experience and skill. It's a truly personalized experience. Uinta Recreation in Heber City is just 20 minutes from Park City, an hour from Salt Lake City. There's still lots of snow along the Wasatch Back, so check it out today at UintaRecreation.com. Uinta Recreation, better service, better equipment, and a better experience. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. We still have some excellent Last Chair episodes coming up this month. And next up, we'll take a look at diversity and efforts to get more Latino youth engaged in skiing and snowboarding. And if you missed our last two episodes of Last Chair, check out Lexi Dowdle's Kapowder Project. And if you love Utah powder, you'll enjoy the episode with photographer Lee Cohen. They're available now on all podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us on Last Chair. We'll be back soon with more episodes. To close us out, here again is Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Remember to subscribe to have every episode delivered directly to you and leave a five-star review telling others that you enjoy the podcast. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski. Oh, I love to ski. I'm living in Utah.